Okay. All right. I feel like I should do a countdown. No, never mind. Okay. This is Content Design with Friends, a podcast about content design and the people behind the words. Today's episode is all about imposter syndrome. So let's get started. I'm Laura Lopez. My pronouns are she and her. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I'm a content designer. Hey, my name is Rosie Olivar. I'm based out of Seattle, Washington, and I am also a content designer, although my title is UX writer. But, you know, we'll have an episode all about titles some other time. Hi, my name is Susanna Agababian. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a UX writer based in Amsterdam, Netherlands, born and raised in Russia, originally Armenian. Hello, my name is Laura Costantino. I am a content designer based in New York City, and I am originally from Italy. My pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Camila Picoj. I am a content designer based in Chicago. My pronouns are she and her. I'm originally from Brazil. Back to you, Laura. All right. So thanks all for being here. The topic for today, it's imposter syndrome. And we hear it a lot in the industry, in design, definitely in content design. So what does it mean to us when we talk about imposter syndrome? To me, it means basically doubting yourself. It's a feeling of not being enough. Um, smart, skillful, professional, experienced, you name it. Despite actually being that and having proof that you are all of that. And one ends up feeling like a fraud and they like they don't deserve the job title or can't acknowledge the accomplishments. You end up feeling like you're lying to everyone around you. And at some point, someone is just going to um, uncover you and expose you to everyone. Yeah, uh, I was doing some digging before this episode and... Like, you know what imposter syndrome feels like, but I was just looking to see, ooh, what, you know, how does, how do other people define it, you know, quote, unquote, officially? And something I found really interesting, I won't read the, like, the official definition, but I was reading this Harvard Business Review article about it, and something that's really problematic about telling women specifically that they have imposter syndrome is that there were early studies that were done about it in the 1970s and it didn't even take into account viewpoints of from people of color so for thinking about how systemic and how problematic even just talking about imposter syndrome is it doesn't even take into account giant groups of people when when we talk about that so you know oftentimes i'm thinking about like systems of oppression that exist with imposter syndrome and it's just, it's overall problematic. It makes me rethink how we even frame imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it that goes into just like the culture that you're in, right? And then the culture that's set by the company. And if it's a culture that you're not, um, that you didn't grow up in, that you don't, you don't feel comfortable in, then it's very easy to add another layer of like, okay, maybe you are qualified, maybe in a different company culture you would feel like you could do the job but now in this one whether it's because the language they use is so different or very masculine coded um whether the way that they see people of color people with an accent um people who are immigrants might be treated differently like all of that then adds up to you feeling 
like you don't belong there. And it has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with your capacity. And unfortunately, it has everything to do with them seeing you as an other. And then you feeling like you just entirely do not belong on top of the fact that. And so that also bleeds into you feeling like an imposter, right? Because the system is not designed with you in mind, with your progress in mind. And even when it is designed, I love that there's a lot of companies that are seeing like, oh my God, we have this bias internally, culturally. How can we fix this as an industry as well? It still takes a lot of work. It's still work to see people as qualified and to remove the bias of the outside. There's so many layers in here that's not just you were at a critique and didn't feel like you were using, you know, SAT words like all the other content designers, right? So yeah, it, it, there's so many layers to imposter syndrome. To your point, Rosie and, and Laura's, I do wonder, you know, when we decided on this topic for this episode, I was like really wondering if by talking about it, we're kind of validating it. And, you know, that was kind of like my question for you all. To what extent is worth talking about it? And for me, I thought it's worth talking about it in the sense that I feel it. And so it, for me, it's worth talking about it as my own personal lived experience, for sure, without, of course, forgetting like the systemic the systemic causes of it and the context around it. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Rosie. For me, I know I've felt it in the past. And so I think that's the kind of experience I can share. Yeah, and I think that's that's super valid too, because everybody has their own identity, mix of identities. Uh, we live many different lives all in one. And so it will. we all have different interpretations of it. So I'm excited to explore that. You know, speaking of lived experiences, one specific situation that I felt imposter syndrome and curious to hear about y'all, your experiences is what's the job hunt? I'm not currently job hunting now, but, you know, imposter syndrome is this overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. And if you see a job, maybe it's a little bit of a reach, but you really want to go for it. Because, you know, it will help you grow, new experiences, all that good stuff. But when you apply for it and you never hear back or you get the immediate rejection, I just feel like that is like imposter syndrome fuel where it's like, I'm going to push myself. This is going to be like great for my career. And then it's just like, nope, you know what? You're not a fit for this. And I think the worst is when you get an automated. I mean, this could be its own episode all, all on its own, but. You know, if you get sort of like the automated email, rejection email, that says, sorry, we went with somebody else. Like, well, you went with somebody else, but what about me? What about my skills? What what was not making the cut or cutting the mustard, as we say in the United States? And I just feel like that, that's something that nobody ever really acknowledges either. It's just how stressful and emotional a job hunt is. And you layer on top of that, feelings of imposter syndrome. It's just, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like dating, but then you're on a date by yourself. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. So it's just so true. You show up to the date and then they never show up and then they never message you. 
And right, like there's different levels. You get ghosted. So there's no reply. And you're like, is it me? Did I not look good enough on my resume or, you know, on your Tinder profile or whatever it is that the cool people use? I don't, I'm not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, or is it, you know, you show up and then they immediately see you and then they're like, oof, no. <laughs> so that's your like rejection email. And oh. then there's like, you know, you show up, first date's great. And then you go on a second date and then, they're just like, I'm not feeling this. No third date. And so now you're just like, oh, my God, why didn't we get to the third date? And then, of course, you know, like, I want to remind people, like, it's also you choosing who to continue with, right? Because, you know, when you're dating, it's easy to be like, oh, God, not this person, right? But somehow when we're job hunting, we don't have that that in our minds. Like, we're just constantly like, no, please validate me. No, please say that I'm good enough. Um and also, like, you know, we got bills to pay. So sometimes you got to go on that date so you can free dinner. Uh, <laughs> the point is, you know, remember that you're also looking for the right fit for yourself. And, it, you know, you can reject companies, too. You can say, like, nah, this is not this is not a good fit for me. My God, to the job. I don't want I, I don't want to be single ever again. This is too Yo, much. Same. <laughs> same. <laughs> oh, speaking of layers, uh. For me, as an immigrant, the, the layers are a bit thicker because there is a phase of assimilation and adapting yourself, immersing yourself into the new culture. And I remember the first time I landed my first American job. Oh, my God. And I thought that people were so aggressive. And coming from Brazil, it's not a good thing being too out there, outspoken in your professional life. You kind of have to be humble because that way you will be noticed. Your your manager will sympathize with you or see you as a human and then eventually give you that promotion. It can take it can take years to to get a promotion, depending on the industry and where you work. And here, oh my God, I was surrounded by amazing women just going there and asking for what they deserve and speaking out and calling out people when something went wrong and it it was a lesson i don't know if that's positive or negative but it definitely poked my imposter syndrome and then that came back when i was making the pivot from content strategy to ux writing Right. I thought that I needed the, the title. I couldn't I couldn't even call myself UX writer. Right. I was so afraid that people would find out that I wasn't a, a UX writer, even though I was doing the thing, learning and applying X writing methodologies in my day job. And it was just I, I, I wonder if it's it's definitely culture. I don't wonder. I know it's culture and how much of that you have to break yourself? Who can help you help you eliminate those layers that come with cultural background and you know people's personalities? Curious to hear from y'all. Um, I initially was gonna add to the points that Rosie made, but actually it's our combination for me about what Rosie said and you, Camila. Um, about the validation and feedback, I feel strongly that sometimes we lack the ability to actually hear 
positive feedback as well. So when we get it, we actually are not capable of hearing that. And for me, it is cultural because there's a lot of, uh, just in general, a lot of negativity that you grow up with and you are taught to always listen to the things that you need to improve about yourself. So in the end, you actually don't know what's good about yourself. And in stressful situations, such as job hunting, such as starting a new job, pivoting, of course, if you don't have this internal support system, you go straight into this um, negative mode where everything seems too drastic than it is actually in reality. Maybe you are already doing a great job um, and you need to just cut yourself some slack. And maybe people are actually saying, oh, hey, you're amazing. You're brilliant. You're doing everything that you can. And it's, it's fine as it is now, but you're just not, yeah, you're just not able to, to hear it because the imposter syndrome kicks in and yeah, you kind of become deaf to, to the positive stuff. I don't know if that has ever happened to anyone else in the group. Yeah, it definitely happened to me. I think another sort of related layer to this is getting promoted or going for that salary rise, salary bump, as they say, you know, if you there, oh gosh, there's so many layers, right? Because it does impact people, even high achieving people. We are, y'all are, I look up to you, y'all are high achieving people, but you know, it's, it's, it's where people really doubt their abilities. And I think for me too, just like on an extremely personal note, um, related to my upbringing, there's a lot of like ideals that I was taught growing up that, you know, your job is really important. It's part of your identity. And it's just it's just so, so ingrained into who you are. And so when you bring work into the mix, into your personal identity and say, for example, you know, kind of related to the job hunt that I was talking about earlier, where, you know, say you're going for the stretch promotion, the stretch job, you finally muster the gumption to ask for a salary bump and you don't get it. That is just so detrimental to your, I don't know, like mental well-being too. If you're, I mean, I'm personally trying to decouple my personal identity with work and I go through many sessions of therapy talking about work. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And it, again, it's just it's very in ingrained into like my upbringing and all that good stuff. I am the daughter of immigrants and first generation. And so there's a lot, there's a lot riding on that, on, on your job. And so I just feel like when you don't get that promotion, again, it is just imposter syndrome fuel. I'm sure there's many, many reasons external to you why that promotion didn't happen, but it's just another sort of, it's just like another input into why, oh, here's another reason why I have imposter syndrome. Not sure if that's happened to anybody else, but that is certainly the case with me. I think for me, sometimes imposter syndrome is connected to perfectionism as well. And over time, I discovered that, unfortunately, I am a perfectionist. And so that's definitely something I've worked on because, you know, we've definitely talked about like the standards that were kind of like 
upheld too from like society, from the place we work at, from our team, our friend, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then there is the standards we set for ourselves. And for me in particular, those are probably honestly the hardest. So in this new year, I'm working on having a little bit more grace and compassion for myself. I think you're pretty perfect, Laura. <laughs> Agreed. A hundred percent. For those of you listening, we all have like heart emojis popping up into the to the chat. I can't find mine, so I'll just give you a little handmade heart. Um, okay, yes. Just just want to jump in and say one quick thing about this. A lot of people will often say, like, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. You shouldn't compare yourself to other people. But like, what else are we supposed to do if you do ask for the promotion, if you do ask for the salary bump, but you know other people are getting paid more than you, right? Either because they're new and they negotiated a very common problem. We can talk about this in a negotiation episode just because they moved to a project that the company really cares about. So they're getting all of the all of the things like getting promotions, getting raises, all of that jazz. If your manager is not transparent with you on why you did not get a promotion or why you are not getting a salary raise or why everyone else is getting it, but you're not, all you have is comparison. All you can do is compare yourselves to what other people are doing. Like, oh, okay, well, they, they're doing a lot of presentations. Maybe, maybe that's what I need to do. So it's up to your manager to be transparent with you and tell you why it didn't happen for you and to either alleviate your thoughts of imposter syndrome by saying it has nothing to do with you. It's just where the business is at right now. Or say like, oh yeah, actually we do have an expectation for people who get promoted or people who get salary raises to do X, Y, C. And then that way you can go off, do X, Y, Z. Make sure that you're getting metrics that are measurable within a time frame, so that when you come back and you're like, I did everything you said you did by the timeline that you said you did. And this is like, you know, the impact I had that you wanted me to have. And then if you have that conversation again and you're still not getting it, then, you know, well, I'm going to look somewhere else. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it works. True, though. In some cases with promotions, it sometimes is a zero-sum game because somebody else is getting a promotion you may not. And yeah, I just wish more managers were transparent to that point of like, hey, it was up between this person and this person. And I don't know that many companies will go on the record to say that they stack rank or do any of that stuff because that's really not how people are unique in their own right. They bring unique skill sets to the table. But sometimes that's what it comes down to. It's like, it's very corporate where it's like, okay, we got five people we would like to promote. And then, I don't know, maybe your manager has to go up to bat for you. Or maybe they have three people to go up to bat for. And now it's like conflicting, but only, you know, two people can get the promotion. So yeah, it's just, it's, it, it would be good to know the factors that went into whether or not you got that promotion. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And oh, yes. Okay. So you all can't see this right now, but Rosie's putting stuff in the chat. But I'm going to go ahead and just say it out loud. Yeah. Getting people promoted might not also be your manager's strong suit. Okay. So true. I mean, I've had managers in the past who 
And I and I love the mix of personalities, especially for management. You can't just always have like the hyper extroverted manager who's like a real go-getter. That's not always the case. And sometimes you have a manager that just isn't always going to be your advocate. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do y'all think about that? Let's talk a little bit about that. I, I think we need an episode just about managers. <laughs> I don't want to speak for them. I think that at this point, we all know that tech jobs, tech companies, they all have that stack rank, the bottom 10%. And managers also have their own metrics and numbers to hit. And we kind of become victims of this framework that, you know, everybody loses, right? And it's just a, another reminder it's it's not you. You might feel that you are an imposter. You don't belong there. You you don't deserve your job. But it's just it's a result of something way bigger. So, yes, it's a result of something way bigger than you, I guess. So to that point. We've talked about how imposter syndrome has plagued us in the many unique ways that it that it appears in our lives, our work lives. Um, I'm curious to hear from you all, like what tips and tricks do you have on how to fight imposter syndrome? It is a daily fight we are fighting. Do any of you have, I don't even want to say a best, best practice, but how do you deal with it on the daily? Hype docs. Hype dogs. Wait, say more. Say more about this. Yeah, It's your little diary or little Google Doc where you save all the thumbs up, five stars, feedback, quotes from your peers, either through Slack or, you know, Figma comments. That is your um, yay folder. Yes, Laura, I want to hear what you call yay folder. You're your own advocate, your manager, your peers, people will view your work, give you feedback at the end of the year. Won't see that unless you bring to the table. That's your receipt. So keep your hype doc, your yay folder, because that's going to speak for you and your work. That's amazing because I also have a hype doc. I have a hype folder, actually. I do have like a doc as well where Every month I'm collecting the good stuff that I managed to do so that I remember it because sometimes at the end of the day, at the end of the month, it's actually hard to remember. It kind of seems like, oh, there were so many problematic things. I didn't do anything, I don't know, valuable. So I tried to do a recap. And then, yeah, I have a, a high folder as well, which is a bit weird. I just keep it for myself. But I do screenshots of the things that people said about me because when I'm feeling down, I just have this folder and I just open it and I'm like, oh, I don't seem to be that bad. I'm all right. So it's a nice one. And the other thing that I'm doing, I'm also collecting, I'm rigorously collecting feedback from people because whereas you can dot yourself, you just, yeah, you just need other people who worked with you on the projects on specific projects to kind of give you testimonials of what went right, how the work went, what exactly did you do, what was your input. And I don't know, for me, it's it's the best thing. It can also be 
just a senior person who you're looking up to, or maybe your mentor, a person whose opinion you, you trust and value and who you can relate as, relate to as well. And yeah, of course, the stakeholders, my friends and such colleague, she always says that feedback is like a virtual hug. <laughs> and I, I feel it Aww. that way. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. Feedback is like a virtual hug. I think I do something similar to Susa, but instead of doing it at work, which maybe I, I'm sure I could do more of that, like asking for feedback of my colleagues, I put myself out there, let's say kind of in the wild. And as some of you know, I post a lot on LinkedIn and Part of that, I think, for me is to find validation. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> I feel like revealing a, a bit of maybe of a, you know, behind the scenes kind of kind of thing. But I think the reason why I, you know, I not so much like ask for feedback, but for example, like right now, I ask people to ask me questions and I try to share my knowledge as much as I can is like partially yes of course to support the community but you know I often think uh, like deeply is also to validate myself and through helping people feeling like I know what I'm talking about I hope that doesn't sound like too lame but (laughs) I think it's it's partially true and I also think it's important I think through sort of like you said, Susa, like feedback and learning from other people, I think that's probably one of the best like solutions or like tricks against that feeling of not knowing, because actually there is nothing wrong against not knowing. We all not know. And I think maybe if we talk about that more, right? Like how important it is to know what you don't know. Mm, not to sort of paraphrase Socrates here, but it's actually something I was thinking about yesterday. It's kind of like a real, a real sign of, to an extent, right? Being an expert and meaning being someone really wise, not necessarily actually an expert. Somebody once told me that being able to teach something to somebody else is like the true way of knowing the thing you're talking about. <laughs> And so I think that's a wonderful way of doing that. I'm going to go look you up on LinkedIn and read more about your series, Laura, because I'm super, super fascinated. Maybe I'll submit something too. Who knows? Um, yeah. Wow. This is this is all great. Um, oh, yes. And it's called OK Laura. So check it out on LinkedIn. And yes, we'll put links in the show notes for all the things that we're referring to. So, uh, man, these are really good tips. I'm going to use these myself. But Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but I talk a lot about this at therapy and I highly recommend if you have the financial means, the insurance to go do therapy, I highly recommend it because, you know, a lot of the root of imposter syndrome, I think is a lot, a lot, has a lot to do with like self-value, self-worth, identity, all of these very spicy, meaty topics that are just so hard to unpack just by yourself or even with peers oh yes and also check double check hey it's beginning of the year we only recently did open enrollment so you might company might have a therapy benefit so check that out a good tip from from rosie in the chat but you know i talk a lot about that at therapy so highly recommend 
And again, I'm trying to uncouple my, uh, you know, decouple my self-worth to performance, but that's what I do. Highly recommend therapy. And just going off of what you were saying, Laura, decoupling your career with your self-worth, like there's so many other things that you do that you should be worried about being amazing at those things and not worried about like, oh, I'm not good enough in my career and like someone else is 27 and they're making like this much money, but I'm like 30 something and I'm making less or, you know, like, like just thinking about the other things that you do in your life that bring you joy, hashtag Marie Kondo, and sort of like having your worth attached to that, right? Like, how well do I take care of myself? How well do I take care of my friends, my family, my chosen family, the people that I, that I care about? Am I waking up and going on that walk that I'm trying to do every single day? Right? Like, those are the things that should matter more than your career. If you're moving quickly enough or not moving quickly enough, if you got the promotion or if you did negotiate well at that new job where you didn't negotiate well because you found out other people are making 30 grand more than you like okay yeah that sucks fight for those things and don't let that become like your everything i think it also becomes more difficult as we progress in our careers because you know for some of us the way to get promoted or the way to move forward or the way to grow is by doing talks or workshops going to to conferences and being a speaker going to do panel conversations and doing a podcast and then it gets very easy to think and measure your your self-worth against those things because now you're doing those things outside of work so it doesn't feel like you're measuring your career but those are for your career it's still related to what you do at work right you're just doing outside of it so again reminding yourself this isn't all of me and this isn't what I need to measure myself against I need to measure myself against the things that bring joy to my life. And, you know, maybe helping others brings joy to your life, but helping others in UX or UX writing, design or conversation design or research, whatever it is that you do, isn't the same as, you know, your bestie needs to move and she needs you over there to haul that mattress, right? Like that's a better standard to set for yourself. And if you were sick and you missed it, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up for it. But yeah, there's a lot of your self-worth that gets attached to your job. And when you're doing stuff related to your job outside of your job, it can be really difficult to remove those measurements of success and of worse. But you got to do the work, baby. You got to do the work. Rosie, you just gave us a TED Talk. I love it. In a good way. We all need to hear that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Much needed. Much needed pep talk. Wow. Okay. Well. I think we've got we've got tips and tricks how we are going to handle imposter syndrome in this new year, whenever this podcast may air, or just ongoing. We've got we've got the tips, we've got the tricks, and I feel like we've yeah we've made it to the end. Episode one, we did it, we did it, y'all. Um, we did it, we did it. So thanks so much for listening to episode one of Content Design with Friends. Woo! We will be back with another episode, so we'll see you real soon. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. All opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of our employers. 
have feedback, questions, or an idea for a future episode, email us at cdwithfriends at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I recently discovered on Zoom that they have like in breakout rooms, uh, how do you call it? The, the mode where the leader of the meeting just reaches out to everyone in the room and it sounds like a voice from above. <laughs> like all of a sudden this voice comes That's out. That's fun. Hi guys, you're like, who is this? <laughs> I don't see them. That feels kind of creepy. Yeah, like they're just kind of like looking in what you're doing. Yeah.